Go ahead, Steve. Hey, Clint. It's good to see you. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. I don't know the rest of the lyrics to the song. Welcome back to the Christ and Culture. This is Steve. And this is Clint. It's good to be back with Clint here. In my apartment for once. Yeah. We're actually not recording at uh, Gordon's, well, the Mattlers. Yeah. No, it's been it's been a while um, since I feel like you and I have recorded. I guess that's what, like, when you have these three rotating co-hosts. Yeah. It just feels like forever. Because realistically, this is like the one time I actually get to see Clint is when we record. It's true. Um, so we always get to like catch up a little bit, which is always good, and we, it kind of keeps our friendship going. Yeah, we were actually talking about that. Uh, I think it was last week's episode or two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Gordon and I were talking about how we feel like we see each other all the time, but very rarely are we actually like sitting down and recording with each other. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like it's been a long time, but really we see each other like every day. Right. Whereas with you, this is really our only chance to see you now that you. And they'll live you on the other us. side. Yeah. I know. I have commitment issues. And I have to move <laughs> away every every few years. Um, so before we even get started, I want to make an apology. Uh, if my voice sounds crazy or if I sound crazy throughout this episode, I just came off of a junior high lock-in, the one that you guys heard me and Gordon talking about. And I haven't slept in like 24 hours. No, more than that. Like... 30 hours. So this could be a very interesting episode because I'm a little, little goofy right now. So, yeah. Well, Clint, if anything, we're just both going to be goofy because that's like my. That's just you normal. (laughs) Yeah, that's my motor's operandi. (laughs) Me, me me without, or or me going on no sleep in like 30 hours is just like you on a normal day. That's fair. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, at least we got that out in the open. Mm-hmm. I mean, our listeners knew that. <laughs> like, they, they had caught that. Yeah, you guys have heard us for 60 episodes by this point. You <laughs> hopefully have a pretty good idea of how weird we are. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, so what, have you, what sort of media have you been intaking? Oh, jeez. Actually, that's another thing I was talking about on, on last week's episode. These past couple weeks, I've taken in so much media that... Uh, I actually listed something for each one, and I still have a ton left on like my oh, wow. list of things. Yeah, dude, I've just been like crushing. I crushed like five books and like movies, entire TV shows. Like it's been ridiculous. Wow, it must be nice to be literate. Uh, I I can read. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah. It's a real blessing. Yeah. I don't know what you're trying to say there, but we're gonna go ahead and keep <laughs> going. So, do you remember Sao? Sword Art Online, the anime that we did a show on? Uh, yes, he says that um, Nick yeah. introduced to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one thing, I, I went back to the season two of that, which is way, way different than, than the first season. Okay. And so I've been, been watching some of that. And then American Horror Story. Mm. Did you ever watch that show? 
I had watched uh, part of the first season, mm-hmm. I think. It's a show that I feel like I would really like because it's kind of up my alley. However, um, it's so I'm so many seasons behind now that it would take a large effort and time commitment to try to get caught up on. Yeah, so that's kind of where I was. I watched like the first three seasons mm-hmm. and enjoyed them. And then the fourth season, I, I kind of just lost it. But this was supposed to be the final season. Oh, okay. And so for whatever reason, I decided to go and like start watching it. And one thing about American Horror Story is they have the same cast throughout the entire show. Mm-hmm. And they just play different characters every season. Right. So where the, the actor who played uh, It in the movie It, I think he got a start on American Horror Story, didn't he? Really? I don't I, so. I don't think I've seen him on there. Maybe. Maybe I just didn't recognize him. But, yeah, so the reason why I bring that up is in this final season, it's kind of this culmination of, of all of them together. And so it's really cool to see, like, the same actor might be playing three different characters in a single episode, but they're all completely different characters from different seasons, and they, like, cross paths with each other. And so it's, like, really cool to see that. But... The final season, if, if any of you like American Horror Story, go check it out because the final season is uh, really good. Oh, actually, I might be wrong and just misinformed, which is probably a lot. He does look like, kind of look like one of the main characters, though. Yeah, and I think that's why I got confused. But, you know, I have the power of fact-checking via mm-hmm. Google and realizing that I'm wrong. So, that keeps me humble. There you go. And then the other main thing I wanted to t- talk to you about was I just got back from Philadelphia last week. Oh, filthy. Yeah. yeah. I'm in Philly. Yeah. So uh, I'm from Pittsburgh and there's a big sports rivalry. I have no ill will toward Philadelphia or anyone who lives there. Um, I just am not a fan of the Philadelphia Flyers. Good save. Good save. Yeah. Yeah. But I went to that, that uh, tabletop gaming convention packs unplugged yeah and dude it was awesome so i kind of talked about it last week so i don't want to dive into it too much on air but Mm -hmm. that's basically what i've been taking in what about you uh yeah so i have recently started to watch some of the um like marvel netflix shows a lot of them released the new seasons now um, that they're gone a while back yeah but i hadn't had a chance to uh, get caught up so Working my way through the second season of Jessica Jones, and then I'll be doing the second seasons of um, Iron Fist, and I don't know if Luke Cage had a second season. I think it did. Yes, I believe so. Um, and then I think there was a third season of Daredevil. I'm working my way through those. Watching the Jessica Jones one right now, there's a really actually interesting story arc because it sort of takes this massive twist in the middle of the season, and... It's actually a, a series, this, that season is very much like um, the main thing is the character development of Jessica Jones mm-hmm. and helping her realizing that like her isolationist ways aren't really healthy or good and that like she's doing it to defend herself and like push people off so that she doesn't have to like be hurt anymore by anyone, mm-hmm. but like realizing that that's actually not healthy or the right thing to do. And she needs, she's like learning to be vulnerable with other people again and like letting people into her life. And it's actually really interesting to see that played on the big screen because yeah. 
as you can attest to anyone who talks to me for more than five minutes knows that vulnerability, you know, like, as an aspect of love, is like my fate, like, you know, just something that I will talk about forever. It's true. Um, it's one of my, one of the things that's, you know, very much, um, my passion. So in my, in my ministry, I guess in its own way. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so those are what I've been taking in. I, I think Gordon and Lizzie were actually watching Daredevil. Oh, good deal. So maybe you guys could uh, catch that. up and, and talk on that or something. Yeah, sure. I'll have to get caught up on that season, and then we'll do that. But it's really interesting. So, yeah, so I've been in taking that and then listening to a lot of um, just random podcasts and things because that's what you do when you're a podcaster. Any good ones about, like, Christ and culture? Or... Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything quite like that. Yeah. Um, I really think someone should get on that, though. Yeah, it's probably silly. Yeah, you're right. Who would want to listen to that? <laughs> Gosh. Oh. I'm just kidding. You guys are great. We love you. <laughs> yeah. So let's, I think, just go ahead and dive in because I got a lot of stuff for this one. Yeah. This, yeah. Th- this is going to be coming out for right Christmas. Right Christmas, right? Yeah. Right. So first off, uh, Merry Christmas yeah. to all of y'all. Merry Christmas, guys. And the reason why we say like that it's coming out then is we because all three of us are going literally all over the country for mm-hmm. the holidays. Uh, we're recording this in advance, so we're kind of time traveling here. But when this comes out, it will be almost Christmas. Yeah, you guys are hearing me fresh. I will, after this, be recording at least two more podcasts, if not three more. Yeah. So by the end, I may be... It's going to be great. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And you guys are going to be like, wow, January is going to roll around. And you're going to be like, Steve seems a little loopy. <laughs> it's going to be because I recorded four podcasts in one day. And because Clinton Gordon did not sleep for the 30 hours beforehand recording all those. Well, currently Gordon is sleeping. Oh, so he? he should be, I think, a little bit more refreshed. I would okay. think he is, right? Good for him. Because we're meeting, uh, me and him are meeting up at like 4.30. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. At, probably after mass, he probably got some, He probably got some rest. Yeah. So anyways, this is the Christmas episode. So welcome. And this year for the Christmas episode, I really wanted to do something that really reminded me of Christmas, right? So it brings me back to a family tradition. So a lot of people have like certain movies they'll watch on the holidays and stuff like that for me we every year watch the movie the polar express so literally every year since it came out because the same year that it came out my parents got surround sound in our living room and so that combined with the like train and everything my mom just loves it and so every year she makes us watch it and it's kind of just become a thing. So that's kind of like one of our Christmas traditions now almost is watching the Polar Express, yeah. which is an awesome movie with Josh Groban singing. So classic mm-hmm. instant, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So with that, uh, I, I think there is something to be said about uh, like family traditions and just the idea of tradition itself. And to be honest, I'll probably make a video on that or something too but i i do think that it's it's important to note that like we have all these traditions as families mm-hmm. and because of that it also makes sense that we have traditions as the church family yeah it's funny that you said that because just yesterday i met with my friend melissa for lunch uh, and we had gone to this restaurant nearby called pierogi queen which is a polish restaurant that's super funny sounding 
Yeah, pro-gi queen. Um, <laughs> and anyway, uh, I am very, at least on my mother's side, very Polish. Uh, my mother is 50% Polish, 50% Russian. My grandparents were 100% Polish, 100% Russian. What? Married, I had my no mother. Idea. And so, like, my mother's side is just very, very, like, Polish and Russian and just very Eastern European. And so it's always funny because I hear about, like, Christmas traditions. And every year, my family would get together for Christmas Eve, mm -hmm. and we would always have all of this Polish food. Like, we would have, like, kielbasa and halushki and pierogies, and it would just be a ton of Polish food, and that's what we would eat. Those aren't even real words. <laughs> they are all <laughs> words. Um, and that's what we would have. And the funniest thing is now we don't do that because we always used to be in my Aunt Karen's house. Um, and now we are at my Aunt Chris's, and my aunt, my Uncle Paul is, a, like, of Italian descent, so they do, like, the, the 13 fishes thing. And so we have all these fish dishes now. And my mom, for whatever reason, likes to be, like, we've always done this. We've always had all this fish. And me and my cousins are like, no, we didn't. Like, we never ate fish as, like, kids for... Like, this is a new tradition. And, like, mm -hmm. they always, like, try to pass it off. It's like, no, 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 this is what we've always done. And I was like, no, 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 this is what we've done for, like, the past 10 years. <laughs> but as a child, we would eat kielbasa and we would have all these Polish things. So it was funny going there because it, it brought that sense of nostalgia to me of just, like, remembering all those traditions that I had had. And on my father's side, we'd always go to my, my grandmother's house and we would just watch A Christmas Story. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the classics. Yeah, and we would watch that. And so when I was home for, for uh, Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. A Christmas Story came on. And so my dad's like, oh, Steven, since you're not going to be able to come back home for, for Christmas this year, let's sit down. So he and I like sat down and watched The Christmas Story as like our pre-Christmas tradition. Pre-Christmas Christmas. Just so we could have that tradition continuing and just enjoying that. But yeah, it's always just very, very... There's just something about those traditions that breeds love, you mm -hmm. know, that there is a love that is bred in those traditions, that familial bond that exists there. And and I think it preserves truth, too. Yeah. You know, I, I like to use the example of, um, actually, I was playing this with some of my, my teens a couple weeks ago, where, you remember the game Telephone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so try playing Telephone with, like hundreds and hundreds of people you know what's going to happen is that phrase is going to be so distorted by the end it's not even going to be even close to what you originally said right right so and that's what happens when we don't have some kind of tradition to look back to to preserve what that was now imagine playing telephone where you kind of handed around like a, a note saying what the tradition was right mm -hmm. you can always look back to and remember where you came from and to where you're going and so i, I think it also not only preserves uh yeah. like this love but also preserves truth right and yeah i think there's a sense there too because a lot of these traditions are not just like a phrase or a truth and word that is produced but it's like a participation in that truth yeah and so you're actually doing an activity and so when you look at like ancient israel when they would be doing these traditions and they would be doing these festivals and they'd be doing things to the t you know like replicating it generations and generations it was to preserve that truth so there wasn't that telephone effect mm -hmm. like they were actively participating and they were saying the same things because it was important to remember why they were doing it because they were participating in a truth right yeah uh so that's actually all preliminary to actually talking about the show so yay tradition yeah. yay prefacing yeah 
So let's go ahead and dive in because, like I said, we yeah. do, we do have a lot. So this is the Polar Express. Right. So you've never seen it before, so I'm going to walk through a little bit more detail mm-hmm. uh, than I probably would have otherwise. So hopefully we can pull some stuff out of there. <laughs> so basically the premise of the story is we have this boy. They never actually say what his name is throughout the entire thing. And so it's kind of just open-ended. But he's trying to figure out if Santa is real or not. And so we start off in his house and he waits up at night listening for Santa but then we also see him walking around his room and looking at like this collection of newspaper clippings saying like Santa's not real. And so he's like, well, wh- what is true? Like, my parents are telling me that it is real, but all these newspapers are saying that he's not. And so he has kind of this early stage of disbelief in Santa. Okay, so that's kind of our, our start. And after we, ha- we have all these preliminary scenes at the beginning, the next main thing that happens is while he goes to sleep, he falls asleep at 11.55. And when that happens, a giant train rolls down their street. Like, doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but comes down the street. And he's, like, woken up because the house is shaking and everything. And he runs outside to, like, go see what's going on. And when he does that, he sees that it's called the Polar Express. And he encounters the conductor, who's probably one of the main characters throughout the entire movie. And he basically asks the conductor, like, is, is this, like, what is this? Like, is this actually going to the North Pole? And the conductor points out that this boy didn't write a letter to Santa this year or visit Santa at the mall or do anything like that. And it, it seems like this is what the conductor calls his crucial year. And he asks the boy, do you want to get on? And he gets, he's posed with kind of this major decision, like, mm-hmm. do I abandon this belief, this tradition, or do I go with what people are telling me? Like, wh- what do I do? And so he decides to not get on the train. He's not going to go visit the North Pole. And so the tr- train starts leaving, and then something changes in the boy's mind, and he takes off running after the train, and he gets on. Okay? So he... Once he's on, he, he goes to one of the cars in the train and is met with probably like 15 to 20 other kids that are just sitting there. And they're all just like singing this like song, which ends up being the song of the, the movie. But they're kind of just singing, having fun. And the conductor comes around and checks everyone's tickets. And so when he checks their tickets, he goes through with a like paper puncher. And he just like obnoxiously starts punching things and everyone's trying to figure out what he's doing. And when he hands the tickets back, he always has two letters on it. So the main boy gets the letters B and then at the other side, E. And they're like, B, E, like, what is that? It's not breaking and entering, you know, it's like, what is it? It's not bacon and eggs. So, (laughs) so they're trying to figure it out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) all right, bear with me. I'm so tired. No, that was, that was, that was great. You're going to make a great dad with those jokes. Great. (laughs) So the next thing that happens is they actually go to the poor side of town Mm. and they make a big point that they are going to the other side of town, uh, that they didn't expect to go to. And when they get there, basically the same thing that just happened to this main boy happens to this poor kid. We see him come up to the conductor. They have the same conversation, same words. 
the boy walks away and says he doesn't want to get on. And then the train takes off and he runs after it. But the boy isn't fast enough. Mm. He's wearing like snow boots and he ends up tripping on his face and he can't get on. And so what the main boy does is he's like, we need to stop it. And so eventually they find the emergency brake and he pulls the emergency brake and stops the entire train and the kid gets on. The conductor comes and is furious because they stopped it. And he he says, we're on a very tight schedule. Like, you can't do this. Like, he's freaking out at, at the kid for, for stopping it without a reason. But then when they point out that he stopped it for the other boy to get on, he kind of loosened up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of a theme throughout the whole thing is that we're on a very tight schedule. Like, you can't keep postponing this. Okay? And then he asks if anyone wants refreshments. And they bring out hot chocolate and it's like the fun song there's i don't think there's a whole lot of like theology or anything to it it's literally just like here we only got one rule never ever let it cool hot chocolate and they just sing that over and over again but it's a really catchy song so uh go check that out this is what clint does when he's in the shower he sings this song i haven't but that's probably something that i would do <laughs> to be honest, like if we're being completely honest, that's definitely something I, I like. Want do. to bring out hot chocolate and just have you sing the song? I imagine if someone brings you hot chocolate, that's the song that runs through your head. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of. Okay, well, there yeah. you go, there you have it, <laughs> folks. I mean, I've been indoctrinated by this movie, so it it makes sense. Yeah, there's just a little bit more into the mind of Clint Carton. Okay, so after that, th- there's this girl that the main boy meets, and. I want to point out that when the poor kid got on, he actually got on a separate cart and he was there all by himself because he didn't want to be by the others. And so there's this girl that he met, the the main guy, and she hides hot chocolate for him because mm-hmm. he wasn't going to get any. And so she tries bringing it to the other cart, which isn't safe traveling between. So she's trying to bring it to the new boy and everyone's like pointing out, like, you can't do that. Like, that's not safe. There's rules. Like, you can't travel between a cart without an adult supervising and she's like, I'm going to just do it. Right. And as she's kind of walking through the door, the conductor comes and he's like, did that boy get refreshments? And she's like, no. Okay, well let's go get it, get it to him. And so there's this idea that like, we can't help him. Like there's rules. We can't. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she's like, but we should help him. And so eventually they, they do. But I want to ask you what your thoughts are on that. Because to me, it almost seems like this, like a Pharisees kind of thing where they're so focused on the rules that they forget the heart of the rules. Yeah, it definitely seems Pharisaic in that way. It actually immediately reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Because what's really interesting about the story of the Good Samaritan that I think sometimes we miss out on as 21st century non-Jews, right, is that for somebody at in first century Jewish culture, what you wore was very important. Mm-hmm. Like if you were a Pharisee, you wore Pharisaic robes. If you were a Levite, you would wear that. If you were a Jew, you would wear certain clothing. If you were a Samaritan, you would have to wear these other clothing, right? And 
you know, it's one of the things that seems like just like a throwaway line, but actually is crucial to the point here is that the man, when he's stripped, doesn't mention if he's Jewish or Samaritan, or he might have been a Pharisee, he might have been a Levite, it doesn't say, but it says that he was stripped of his clothing. Mm-hmm. So he was naked. And so the Pharisee and the Levite that walk by look at him naked, are not able to recognize if he's a Jew. And so they don't help him because what if he's not a Jew, right? Then they'd be helping a Samaritan or they'd be helping some sort of Gentile. And so they pass him by. But it was the Samaritan who said, I don't care who he is or what the rules are. Mm -hmm. This man is in need. Right. And so he serves him and he helps him. And so that's what immediately strikes me is that sometimes you have these rules um, and sometimes we immediately judge somebody because we may not know who they are or we may look at them and say, ah, well, they are not like me or they're different or they're, you know, they're, they're a, you know, a smelly homeless man or a refugee or an immigrant. And like, I don't want to help them because yeah. they're different. Yeah. But I think what the story of the Good Samaritan <clears throat> and very much what this is showing in the Polar Express is that those things don't matter and we need to set our prejudice aside mm-hmm. and serve the humanity and the Christ in the other person. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> pretty similar to that. I yep. think the first thing that jumped out to me was specifically when the Pharisees were calling out Jesus for uh, doing miracles mm-hmm. on uh, the Holy Day, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's like, the, the rules are meant to help you. You were not meant like for the rules, you know, like the rules are just there to help you get back to God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and serving the poor, serving others, healing people is a way to bring you closer to God. Like that's doing God's work. Right. Uh, so you don't want the rules that are there to help you get closer to God prevents you from getting closer to God. Right. So I think that's, it's a very, very small part of the movie, and it's kind of just like ignored. But I think that's really, really powerful, especially because we see that this boy is like super poor, mm-hmm. right? And so we have this draw of like, I have something yeah. that this person needs. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> and, um, right. Um, and one of the things that sort of strikes me with that little bit there is that they're like, well, you can't go over without, like, you, you know, without being accompanied by an adult. You know, there's the rules. You can't do that. And it's the conductor who then comes in at that oh, yeah. crucial moment and takes them over. And, you know, when you're talking about God in that way, is it's like, oh, well, you can't serve this person in a certain way because it's against the rules. And I think it's God who enters and says, well, do they need help? Then mm-hmm. let's go serve them. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what Christ ultimately does is, oh, they're a Samaritan or they're a Jew or they're a sinner. Well, then let's go serve them. Yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of talk about this later, but I, I do really believe that, in a way, this conductor is one of the Christ figures of, yeah. of this story. And, and we'll see that come as we go through. But what happens as the conductor leads the girl to the other cart is the girl left her ticket on her seat. Mm. And the main boy is like, well, I don't want her to forget her ticket. And so he chases after her. And as he tries to cross the cart, it blows out of his hand mm. and goes out of the train and goes like down into this ravine and everything. And it's, it's crazy, but there's this whole like cut scene where there's like wolves and water and everything. And eventually by Providence, it ends up back in the train somehow. 
So it like goes off this waterfall and everything and ends up back in the train. But no one notices it come back in, right? And so the boy admits that he lost her ticket and offers to give his to her. But the conductor states that it's non-transferable. And this is another just like really small thing that seems like it's just like plot progression basically. But I think there's something about like this train to the magical place that's like non-transferable to the point where like, Steve, you're going to heaven, right? I'm not. We can't trade places. You know, that's not something that you can just yeah. transfer. And something about that is, is really unique when we look at the 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 tickets. Each one is stamped differently. Mm. Each one has something different that uh, kind of brings yeah. it together. Um, and so that was just kind of a small point that I noticed. Yeah, actually, I had thought the same thing when you had first mentioned that. That I think sometimes there's this sense, and I know I sometimes I'll fall into it and I think a lot of ministers will fall into it where we are so busy serving the spiritual life of those that we minister to that we will often make our own spiritual lives secondary to that. True story. And I think that that's a dangerous thing to do Mm -hmm. because we can't earn other people's way into heaven. We can't even earn our own way. Right. Right. The best we can do is bring people to Christ and allow Christ to bring them in. Um, and to bring it, us in, in in the process. Yeah, yeah. Right. But like it's that if we're neglecting our own spiritual lives, then we are doing neither ourselves nor the kingdom nor the people we're ministering to any justice. Mm-hmm. And that Christ would prefer that we do what we need to do to make sure that we get into heaven than to try to bring a hundred people and then work in them to hell because we haven't been taking care of our own spiritual life. That ultimately what Christ and the way that the gospel works and the way in which God and love flow is that like if you're trying your best to bring everyone else, but you're not receiving the gifts, that's in general going to be unfruitful. But the way it's supposed to work is that you are seeking out God and that God is filling you with love that naturally fills you and then outpours into others. Mm -hmm. And so you are being filled and then that is in turn being outpoured into others and God is able to fill them. And that's how ministry is supposed to work. But we need to make sure, I think, sometimes that we aren't being like, well, I'll just transfer it. You know, this other person, I'll just make sure they get there and then you know, who cares about me? Well, God cares about you. That's why he died on the cross. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So kind of going into the next part, since she doesn't have a ticket, the conductor like makes this big deal about it and actually takes her to the back of the train. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what happens is this obnoxious boy who is kind of just a pain throughout the entire thing tells the main boy that the conductor is going to throw her off the back of the train. Like, she doesn't have a ticket. Like, she's going to get thrown off, and she's going to probably die. Mm. And so the main boy is like, like, we have to do something. And so he chases after them and goes to the final train car, which is where the poor boy is. Mm-hmm. He's like, where did they go? Like, they're gone. And the boy points, like, up to the roof. And so the main kid climbs up to the roof and chases after them. And as he does that, he loses the conductor and the girl, but he finds this mystery man who we actually saw pop up once earlier in the film, but just kind of barely, you have to really be paying attention. 
And he's just sitting up there around a bonfire playing like the banjo. Like On a moving train. Yeah. Okay. He's like like this wandering, like homeless, like wanderer kind of thing. And he's up there like drinking coffee and just having a grand old time on top of the train. Right. And so they have like this little exchange conversation back and forth. And the wanderer, that's just what I'm going to call him because I don't know what else to say. No one in this has a, a name except for one kid. So it's really hard to tell who's who. But the wanderer says that he owns this train track. Uh, he says he's the king of the train, the king of the whole North Pole. And the boy's like, well, what about Santa? Isn't he king of the North Pole? And the guy just like laughs and he's like, ha, ha, like. And he, the the wanderer asked the boy, do you believe? Like, do you believe in Santa? And the boy says, well, I, I want to believe, but. And before he could even finish, the, the wanderer's like, but you don't want to be bamboozled. You don't want to be tricked. You don't want, want all these people telling you what to do and taking advantage of you. Right? And he's like, yeah, like that's exactly it. And the wanderer looks at him and says, seeing is believing. And the man basically tells him that this is all a dream, basically. Mm-hmm. And then he asks if he believes in ghosts. And so the boy's like, are you saying this is just a dream? And the wanderer's like, you said it, kid, not me. And so we get this. It's almost like the Pontius Pilate Jesus. Like, are you saying you're the king of the Jews? Oh, you said it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't think it's really that big of a deal, but it's kind of like yeah. that kind of exchange. Um and so the boy like starts pinching himself and like covering himself in snow, trying to wake him up. And the wanderer, who kind of like ventured off, comes back and is like, "We need to go." And I want to point out this conversation because I think the wanderer is actually another one of the Christ figures. Mm-hmm. But the way that he talks and presents himself, so he he presents himself as like this homeless wanderer, right? So. We get kind of this idea of like the whole whatever you do to the least of these brothers of mine thing. But he's also always playing like the devil's advocate. And so his words are always like the opposite of what you would imagine the Christ figure to be. Mm-hmm. But throughout the rest of the movie, and, and we'll kind of see this, uh, he always leads them towards the lesson that they need to learn in kind of like a sarcastic kind of manner yeah if that makes sense right and i think that 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 just seems to be at least in my life and i think in many how god actually works with us that you know people i think sometimes fear the questions that we have about our faith or the fears of the fear the questions we have about god um but often it's the spirit who prompts those questions and Mm -hmm. it seems counterintuitive like why would god want us to question his own existence and it's so that we can find the answer and like be satisfied and like have a deeper faith and a deeper appreciation and a deeper knowledge of him that only comes from asking the questions that that appear that come right well i mean this this scene reminds me of doubting thomas mm-hmm. like through and through so we have the conversation well you don't want to be bamboozled you don't want to be tricked right mm-hmm. everyone's telling thomas like 
Jesus is back. And he's like, well, what if he's not? And then like, I'm hurt all over again. Right. I, I think that's why he's so hesitant. Like Thomas is so hesitant to believe that Jesus is back. Not because he doesn't believe that Christ can do it, but he doesn't want to be hurt all over again. And when the wanderer says seeing is believing, I think it's almost like when Christ is like, you know what? Come put your hands in my side. Come uh, put your fingers in my, in my wounds, you know, come see for yourself. Like I have nothing to hide. The truth is here. Just come see it. And the reason why I think that's the case and not him saying like, oh, if you can't see it, it's not real. is because immediately after saying that the wanderer leads the boy. He's like, seeing is believing. Like, come with me. Mm-hmm. Rather than seeing is believing, so it doesn't exist. So it's this invitation to come and see. And I think that is, like, the crucial aspect of our faith. Right? That's, that's how we grow. That's how we... That's how all of us became Christians, right? right. So I'm sure you can think of one moment or, or a person in your life who invited you. And that invitation led you to where you are now. And another thing, this is kind of random, but I think Thomas gets a bad rap. But if you think about it, uh, all the other apostles did the exact same thing. They all wanted to see him too before they believed. They were all hiding until Jesus came and was like, hey, I'm here, right? Mm-hmm. So Thomas basically just did the same thing that they did. And I think he gets a hard time for that. But that's my two cents. Uh, so... Basically, what happens is they travel across the rooftop of the trains, okay? Mm-hmm. And eventually, he finds the girl up in the the uh, the engine. I was trying to remember what it's called. And she's the thing dr- that makes the train go. She's driving the train. Oh, okay. Like this little like eight year old girl, right? And so he's like, "What? I thought you got thrown off." He's just like, "No, I'm driving the train." I'm like, how do you know how to drive a train? And she's like, "Well, the engineers taught me. They're up front fixing something." And so they're like on the front of the train as it's going full speed trying to fix it. And this is like my favorite part of the movie. Something happens and one of the engineers starts falling and he grabs the beard of the other engineer. And the guy just like screams like, oh, and it turns out this is a crucial part of the movie. But it's just so fun to say, like, I I find myself making that noise like all the time. (laughs) Like, literally ask my roommates. Like, it's so just fun to do. Y'all should try it sometime. But <laughs> you the re- should all just, if you see them with a beard, pull on it, see what sounds they make. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, this is what happens when I don't sleep. But the reason why it's important is because immediately after this, uh, they have to stop the train because there's a giant herd of caribou. Mm. Right? And so the, pulling on the beard actually communicates with the caribou, apparently. And they all just, like, clear the way. It's like the parting of the Red Sea. They just, like, step to the side of the track, and the train just keeps on going. So, yeah, I I just, I love that scene. It's so funny. (laughs) What I love is that it's just this almost, not throwaway, but it's the sound that a train makes, like, when you pull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's literally just like they pull this guy's beard, and he (laughs) makes the sound. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, my gosh, that is goofy. Yeah. Yeah, so they clear the the, tra- the train tracks and they, they keep moving. And the kids and the conductor, for, for whatever reason, after like all this caribou situation is done, they're sitting on the front of the train, like just kind of watching. And the 
engineers are back driving again. Mm-hmm. And so they're going, and then the engineer breaks the speed control. Mm. Classic, right? And so they just start going crazy, and the kids and the con- conductor are in the front of the train, and they're just like barreling down mountains and stuff. And the girl falls off, and the conductor reaches out to grab her, but starts to lose his balance too and starts to fall off. And so the main boy reaches out and grabs him. And then he's falling off, and then someone shows up and saves them. The Wanderer. He just appears out of nowhere, and then disappears again. He's always there to help mm. you, right? So we have this homeless wanderer coming. Uh, I'm going to keep fl- f- flash forwarding, because we still have a lot to go, and we've been going for a long time. But uh, they end up getting it all fixed and going back. They escape barely. Okay, so they go up this giant mountain peak, which we start to get the feel that like they're almost there. Uh, and as they're walking back to their seats through the train, the conductor tells them a story about a time when he almost fell off the train but was saved by someone or something. And the girl is like, is an angel? And the conductor's like, well, maybe. And the boy says, what did he look like? Did you see him? Because he had already seen him. And the conductor said, no, sir, but sometimes seeing is believing, and sometimes the most real things in the world are the things that we can't see. And so I want to point out that one of the things that was such a big deal about this movie, The Polar Express, is that the majority of the characters are played by one actor. Oh, really? Tom Hanks. Huh. And I do want to point out which ones those are, but the first two I want to talk about is the conductor and the wanderer. Hmm. So those are the only two characters we've seen so far. Oh, actually. And uh, the boy's father uh, in the very beginning. And so we see that these two Christ figures are played by the same voice actor. Right. And so we already have this connection of kind of meeting us where we are and like Christ meeting us where we are to point us in the right direction. Right. To, to save us when we need to be saved, to, be the sarcastic guide when we need it, but ultimately bringing us to where we need to be. Thoughts? Yeah, Yeah, no, I think so. I also think that it's really interesting that the voice father is played by the same actor because in a very real way, uh, the domestic church is where we first learn the lessons of the faith and first learn the lessons of love and who God is. And we can see that through our father Mm-hmm. Right, like we understand our heavenly Father better through our relationship with our he- our earthly Father. Right, right, and so I think that like that wasn't done by accident either. At least it doesn't strike me oh, that way. Yeah, definitely not. And so, yes, yeah, so you end up seeing. I think when you look at Christ in his ministry on Earth, he played these not played these different parts, but he was he presented himself differently to different people. Like he met people differently where they were at. Right. Like the way he interacted with the woman at the well was very different than how he acted. Cleansing the temple. (laughs) Yeah. When he was cleansing the temple or how he acted with the Pharisees or even how he acted with Peter when he first met him versus when he says, get behind me, Satan. Right. That like Christ is meeting them where they're at and saying what they need to be said. Um, And you see him unifying people throughout his ministry, right? He's bringing sinners together. He's he's bringing people 
into union with God and there's this like unity happening, but then he'll turn around and say, I have come to be divisive, right? And you see that he's, he's doing both, right? He's bringing people closer to God, but dividing them from Satan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's, it's never that he's not being true to who he is, right? He's just presenting the part of him that needs to be presented at the time. Yeah. And he's meeting, and that's what I'm saying is he's meeting those people where they need to be met and he's 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 presenting the compassion, but he's also presenting this justice, and he's presenting truth, and that's what he's always presenting. Is what's being presented always is truth, and it's just how that truth needs to be heard in that moment. For sure. Yeah, and so the next major thing I want to cover before we run out of time here is yeah. there's this main song called "When Christmas Comes to Town." So what happens is they walk all the way to the end of the train again, and they're. They're with the boy. And as they walk into the boy's car, he's singing the first verse of the song and they end up joining in. So the first verse, I'm just going to kind of not run through the lyrics necessarily, but kind of point out the themes of the first verse. But it's all about like this boy is, he's trying to believe. He wants to believe that Santa's there, um, but he's never, like Santa's never come to his house because he's poor and his parents can never afford it. And so all these things that he's heard about he's never actually got to see for Christmas, Mm. right? And so the girl comes in and is like, this is the best time of the year. Everyone is home. Like we're together. Everyone's happy. Like there's cheer. We have like the decorations. We have friends that are around us. Like we're surrounded by all this love. And like there's presents and all this stuff. And the boy's like, all these things you're telling me about, but I've I've never seen them. I've heard them. And they talk about like the hope that Santa's coming, right? They're looking forward to. And after that, we get to the second verse, which I think has a little bit more to it. And it says, when Santa's sleigh bells ring, I listen all around. The herald angels sing. I never hear a sound. And all the dreams of the children once lost will again be found Mm. when Santa comes to town. Now, when we think about this as... Santa being Santa, it's just another Christmas song. But I also want to point out that the last character that's played by Tom Hanks is Santa. Right. And so we see some other things that come later, and I hope we get time to to get to those. But we get this idea that Santa is not the main figure. And we even see that in the conversation with the Wanderer. The Wanderer says, I am king of this train, not Santa. I am king of the North Pole not Santa. I am the king of Christmas, not Santa. And so looking at the wanderer as the Christ figure, we see that Christ is the central part of Christmas, Mm -hmm. right? Not Santa. And here we get to the herald angels saying the rejoicing, the looking forward to of Christmas. It's not about Santa necessarily. It's about Christ and the dreams that were, were lost being found are found in him, right? Right. Uh, yeah, so we're going to keep flashing forward because there's we're only like halfway through the movie. We're not going to be able to finish the whole thing. But basically, they get to the North Pole, and they find out that, that Santa gives away one gift to one of the kids that comes on the train. That's like how they start Christmas. But the main kids end up getting lost. They go on this crazy journey and all this stuff. I'm going to kind of just shoot through all that stuff because... I don't think that's uh, super crucial right now. 
But what I do want to point out is when they finally get back to like the city center where all the elves are and everything, and like they're all together again, they bring out the sleigh bells. And mm-hmm. it's this big celebration. Everyone is just like cheering and it's awesome. And everyone can hear it except for the main boy. And it, it drives him nuts, right? And that's actually the guide. Hearing the, the bells is the guide that helps them find where they're supposed to be, right? And he can't get it. He can't hear it. And it's driving him nuts. And then eventually one of the bells breaks off and it rolls right to his feet. And he still can't hear it. And he picks it up and he shakes it and still can't hear it. And finally he says, okay, I'll believe. And as he says that, and he closes his eyes and you can tell that he truly means it. He shakes it again and he can hear it. And, and they say it's the most beautiful sound, right? And so I think there's also something to that. Uh, if you want to speak on that really quickly. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll try to be brief. Yeah, I think that there is a truth that... That God has the power that if he really wanted to, when the sun rose every morning and set every night, it would be the face of Christ. I mean, God could Mm. make it so that it was so prevalent that he existed that it would be nigh impossible to to not believe, right? Mm. But that even though he has the power to do that, that would almost effectively ruin our free will, right? We really wouldn't have a, like, even if you, yeah, you had a choice to whether or not to believe in God or to follow God, like, if you saw him and he was, like, putting it before you in that way, you really wouldn't have a choice. There would be no choice to be had, mm-hmm. right? And so God always gives enough of himself or reveals enough of himself that if you're seeking, you will find it, but not so much that it forces himself upon us. And so when I hear that, I often think like that is what faith is, that sometimes it takes that initial act of faith of just like saying, okay, I'm going to believe enough to just try to see it with an open heart and open mind. Mm -hmm. And then it just is almost super prevalent. And then you can wonder, how did I never see this before? But it just takes that first initial step. Opening the door. And then, and then your faith isn't fueled by like, oh, I'm just blind faith. Like, now you see, now you understand. Now your faith actually has a depth to it because you've actually encountered God and you've met him, right? And so it's not like this blind faith, but like a true faith through true sight. Right. But it takes that initial step. And I think that that's what this is showing is even though it's all right before him, he can't hear it or experience it because he's not willing to be open to it existing and being mm-hmm. open to it being real. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the next thing with this is it is again with the bell. Mm-hmm. He ends up winning the first prize of Christmas mm. classic. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he gets to go up with Santa and Santa asks him like, what do you want for the first gift of Christmas? And he says he wants the bell. And so Santa gives it to him, but he says, this bell is a wonderful symbol of the spirit of Christmas as am I. But just remember, the true spirit of Christmas lies within your heart. And so, again, we have this reminder that Santa is not the focus of Christmas. The focus of Christmas is what's in your heart. And as we talk about on this show, the greatest desire of our heart 
is God. Right. That's what we were made to desire. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we want to figure out what is the meaning of Christmas beyond presents and Santa Claus, look to your heart because yeah. you, you, your heart is already telling you what you desire most, what you're asking for. Right. We, we ask for all these gifts, but all those gifts are, are supposed to like represent our desire for Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. And just a disordered desire for things instead. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that that's just something that we see too. Is like we forget why it is that gifts are given at Christmas. Yeah. Right. And it's, I think less about, you know, sometimes it becomes this materialism of like, oh yeah, we want a gift. And we always talk about like how it's, it's the giving, not the receiving that's important during Christmas. And that's all true. But I think we throw it away as if it's a tagline. When in reality, like the spirit of Christmas is the spirit of Christ mm-hmm. and like his gift of himself in the incarnation foreshadowing the gift of himself on the cross. Right. And that I think those bookends are perfectly wedged on the other side of really what is Matthew 25. And when we talk about like what actually is giving, the reason we give gifts, we give of ourselves, we do all of these things for Christmas is because we are really striving to serve the other and give of ourselves. And that's the real gift mm-hmm. during Christmas is the ability to give of ourselves, even with that annoying uncle or like that family that you may that you love, but like sometimes just gets on your nerves during right. the Christmas season. But like the true gift is, is the gift of love to them mm-hmm. and being able to receive that. Yeah. The giving and the receiving because love takes both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the next thing I want to point out just really quickly is as they get back on the train, the conductor finishes punching their tickets. Right. And this time we have full words finally. So the first one, is the annoying like know-it-all boy and his is learn and so learn like to learn and Mm -hmm. his word is supposed to remind him that even though you know all the facts you don't know everything right and so it's this idea that we can have this academic faith but that's not going to get us to heaven we have to know Christ, mm-hmm. not just know about Christ. I'm reminded of in that a moment and uh, of Saint Thomas Aquinas, mm. right? Who wrote all of this? Which you know, you read the Summa, and it's like and he's like, "Oh, this is just my beginning work, right?" Yeah. But it's yeah, yeah. probably the depth of theology, um, and it's just wonderful gift. But that as smart as he was, and as wise as he was, and as much as he was a doctor of the church, that was very smart. Arguably, one of the smartest men ever. That as smart as he was, the smartest thing he had ever said was when Christ appeared and said, you have said well of me, what is it that you want? And he said, nothing but you, O Lord. Mm -hmm. That for all of the depth of theology that he had, he realized it was straw because the the smartest thing that St. Thomas Aquinas said wasn't, wasn't that. It was, I desire nothing but you. Like you are the sole desire. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just want to go through these last tickets because I think each of these tickets is supposed to remind us something mm-hmm. about what it means to be a Christian. Right. So Billy, who's the poor boy, he's mm-hmm. the only named character in the entire thing. Uh, Billy actually gets several words. So it's depend on, rely on, count on. And so it's this uh, childlike faith, right, where mm-hmm. we cannot take care of ourselves, and so we must rely on the one who will provide for us. And so in our faith, that is, is Christ. 
the girl gets the word lead, as in leadership, right? And so as Christians, we are meant to lead by our example, by our words, by mm-hmm. our lives, right? And then the main boy gets the word believe, right? And I want to point out that it's not this blind faith. We, we don't need to have blind faith as Christians. We have logical reasons to believe what we believe. We have historical reasons to believe what we believe. Can we reason our way all the way to the perfect existence of God? Not quite. Right. But we can have a pretty good logical reason to believe that mm-hmm. the God that we believe in is real. Uh, I think most people, uh, a lot of theologians would argue that we have a better chance to logically argue the existence of God than we could completely prove the non-existence of God, mm-hmm. or at least an equal amount. Yeah. Right. And and the thing that I also want to say there is it kind of ties back to what I was saying earlier that just a reminder that, yeah, we have the logical, we have the, uh, we have the logical explanations and we have the historical evidence, but we also have the benefit that like our God is not dead. Yeah. Right. That, that, that Christ is alive and that he is in fact a person. And it's not this like deist God that has created everything and exists outside and we can just logically figure it out, but that he seeks relationship with us, that he doesn't Mm -hmm. just seek to sit back and let us believe in him. He seeks to actually have a relationship with us and have that intimacy. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier. Like I can believe you exist because we have a friendship. Like we have a relationship, yeah. right? Um, and then going back to the leadership is servant leadership, yeah. Um, which is the real true leadership. Um, and I think you see that earlier in the film when she's willing to break the rules to serve the poor boy, that her leadership isn't this, I'm going to guide everyone. It is a, I'm going to lead through service. Like Mm -hmm. I will be a servant leader. Right. That's good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And the last point I have, I know guys, this is going super long, but this is the last point. I promise they head back. Everyone goes back to their homes. And as the movie is ending, we hear the, adult voice of the boy and this is what he says at one time most of my friends could hear the bell but as years passed it fell silent for all of them even sarah found one christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound sarah is his sister Mm -hmm. though i've grown old the bell still rings for me as it does for all who truly believe and so i think in this we also notice that all the adults, except for the ones at the North Pole, can't hear the bell. So he brings it to his parents, and his parents are like, oh, it's broken. I'm sorry. And we get this idea that oh, these adults are blinded by their disbelief. And so they can't see it because they don't want to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a really real thing. That's part of the reason why we're supposed to have a childlike faith is because... Not because we believe blindly, but because we trust. Yeah. And in that trust, like you're talking about, we are able to see the beauty and the glory of everything that, that comes from that. And I think as we get older, we have this, this pride or this idea that we somehow know better than what we were, we were told or what we're supposed to believe. And so we push it away. And because of that, we can't see the beauty that it brings anymore. 
And for those few who do still believe, they're able to see that beauty throughout their lives. They're able to experience that, to experience that relationship. And ultimately, I think that's the point of the movie. And so if you don't have anything here, I'm going to jump right into the challenge. Yeah, no, I think that that, yeah, I think you did a good job summarizing that. So the challenge for this week is going to be, I think I think we're going to look at actually the, the voice actors. So the Tom Hanks part. To look at what aspect of Christ is, is he trying to reveal to you right now? Is he the conductor who's encouraging you to go on this like journey of discovery? Is it the, the wanderer who is trying to lead you down this path where like, kind of welcoming you into learning more? Is he the father who's raising you and educating you in, in the faith, like helping you grow in the faith? Is he the, the Santa, right? Who is trying to remind you of like, what is the true focus that you're trying to, to stay on right now? Whatever it is, my challenge for you is to bring yourself before God and ask him what it is that he's trying to show you about himself right now. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember what I was going to say earlier, by the way. Okay. Then when we talk about like a childlike faith too, what I think we see in, in the adults, right, where they don't believe is that to have a childlike faith is to yeah, have that reliance, but also to not allow ourselves to be jaded by the world. Yeah. Right. That oftentimes we get jaded and we almost disbelieve in real miracles and disbelieve in like how God actually wants to work in our lives. And we forget that to be a childlike faith is to be filled with that awe and that wonder yeah. in what God can actually do and mm-hmm. that he does do. Right. Um, and a child can look at something. I, I think when I was a, a little kid, this is a little anecdotal story here. When I was a small kid, probably five or six, it was rainstorming outside and I was terrified, you know, cause it was, it was very, very scary. I remember my mom was just like, just pray. And I prayed for God to make the rain stop and the rain stopped and my, you know, and I was so excited. Wow. Um, and I was like, look, God answered my prayers. And my parents were like, that's great, but you know, it needs to rain, whatever. Um, and I had like prayed and like, I was like, oh, and I like heard like the thunder and I was like, okay, God, like let it rain, but like no thunder, like just drizzle and it like drizzled. And I think like that's something we can easily cast away, right? There was a, there was a, a break in the storm that, you know, that's the way that weather works, you know, and I think my parents would probably tell you like, yeah, like, you know, it was coincidental, right? Things like that. But when I was a child, like I knew, like there was no question whether or not God was real. Like he answered my prayer. Mm -hmm. But I think it's easy that when we pray, we see how God works and we're easily like, oh, like it's a coincidence that this happened. But there's that awe and wonder in being yeah. a child. And then we need to be open that like God actually is acting miraculously in our lives. You should have been a weatherman. <laughs> there, there is a, a saint story, though. I can't remember who it is right now. But um, a saint whose brother was visiting her. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was... It was Benedict. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Benedict and Scholastica. Yeah, and she, uh, she wanted him to stay. 
And so, so she, she prayed. prayed for a rainstorm so he couldn't go home. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was like, and he went back and he's like, what did you do? And she was like, well, you weren't listening. So I went to our father. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, so go check out that story. But we are going way, way over time. So I'm sorry, guys. I hope you enjoyed this. We're yeah. going to do really quick shout outs if you have yes. one. But uh, we're gonna... I have one shout out prayer request, actually. Oh, great. Um, one of my friends and coworkers just texted this morning as I'm doing as I'm doing this that her father was in the hospital Ooh. because of like chest pains and potential heart attack. So they're running some tests uh, by you know we'll have figured out well before this like what actually happened well before this is out there but just to pray for her and her family yeah. and her father because basically he had a shoulder pains and it moved to his chest and then they went and and they assume he might have had like a mini heart attack or something like that. Oh, wow. So um, so just pray for them. And just a shout out to Rachel and her family in that. So Yeah, for sure. Just really quick, I want to shout out all of the youth and volunteers who were on the lock-in this weekend. Thank you for getting through this, and especially the volunteers for taking time, well, out of your sleep to spend with 100 middle schoolers. You guys will have less time in purgatory, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> not how it works, but whatever. And the last thing I want to say before we wrap things up is don't forget Disney December. So if you are going to participate in Disney December, all you need to do is watch or listen to something Disney related or read and make a video, audio recording or some kind of post and send it to us about what Christian themes you found in that Disney media. And you can send it to us. You know where to find us. It's all in the notes section. But with that, Steve, you want to sign us off? Yeah. Hey, thanks again. Feel free to email us, tweet at us, just text us, call us, whatever. Please don't follow us in real life. <laughs> call us, beep us if you want to reach us. Yes, good reference. But thank you guys again for joining us on the adventure. We'd love to hear from y'all and have a merry, merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys. Cody, we're still recording. Seriously? Yes. All right, that's definitely going on the blooper reel. I don't think we're actually recording. Yeah, we actually are. This whole time it's been recording.